You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be focusing on Arsenal's issues up front. A lot of the fallout off the back of the transfer window was disappointment with regards to the fact that Arsenal hadn't managed to bring in a striker to replace the outgoing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and provide some much-needed cover to Alexander Lacazette. Now, I've been thinking about this over the last few days, really mulling over it in my head, trying to come up with what I think is the best solution to this issue should we face it moving forward. Because whether people agree or not, I think Alexander Lacazette is clearly Mikel Arteta's first choice in that central uh, striking position. And I think there's a good chance that Alexander Lacazette, when fit, plays pretty much every time. So uh, we're going to dive into what happens in the event that Alexander Lacazette becomes unavailable, maybe through injury, maybe through suspension, maybe because he's out of form and Mikel Arteta thinks or feels like things need a bit of a shake-up. So we're going to get into that. We're going to discuss four options, uh, four options for which you've been voting in the live YouTube poll. So if you are joining us live on YouTube right now, uh, that poll is in the chat box. Feel free to get over there, get involved in it, cast your vote, and I'll come to the results a little bit later on in the program. Um, and the four options I've given you are Eddie and Ketia, start Eddie and Ketia up front at centre forward, play Gabriel Martinelli through the middle. Number three is play perhaps with a false nine. And number four is to give Nicola Pepe a go in that position. So I've given you four options. Get in the chat box and, and have your vote on what you would prefer to see. Uh, and then we can uh, we can get involved. Uh, let's say a few hellos in the live chat. Now, I know I've caught you all a little bit off guard with an earlier stream on a Sunday. Normally, when we do a stream on a Sunday, it's a little bit later on in the evening. The reason I am doing it earlier today is, of course, because of the African Cup of Nations final. I want to watch it. I'm sure many of you guys want to watch it as well. Uh, thought about doing uh, a watch along. I don't really do many watch alongs on this channel. And the ones that we do do tend to be Arsenal related. And of course, uh, I put a poll out and it was very split on whether people would tune in or not. So I decided I was going to have an evening off. It's a really, really busy week coming up. Uh, and given that the opinion on whether you tune in was split, I thought I'd leave it. Um, but I wanted to get you out of podcast for our audio listeners to have available first thing on Monday morning and for you guys on YouTube uh, to be able to uh, watch and enjoy, hopefully, uh, over the course of the next 24 hours or so. Let's say a few hellos uh, in the live chat. A uh, big hello to Moss, who joins us, to Moshe, uh, to Inter, to some bloke, <laughs> to Luke, uh, to Afsar, uh, to BX Gunner, to Matt G. Uh, who else have we got in here? We've got John, we've got uh, Brad, David Marr, uh, Patrick Carlson, Bradley Costello. Lots and lots of you in the chat. We've got Shabihi, who joins us from Oakland. Uh, big hello to Ibrahim as well, who joins us from Sierra Leone. Wow. Um, great to see so many of you in the live chat and great to see so many of you with us live. If you are watching us on YouTube, please do hit that like button. It really, really does help the channel. And if you're not subscribed, then get subscribed because we are edging ever closer uh, towards that 19,000 mark. And then we can start 
focusing towards that goal of 20,000. We're not a million miles from 19K. We're probably around about 160 odd away. Uh, so let's try and get there as soon as possible. Okay, um, I am, as I say, recording this live. And at, as I'm recording it, it's the 67th minute in the game between Nottingham Forest and Leicester City. Nottingham Forest beating Leicester City by four goals to one. Now, I often get criticised for criticising Brendan Rodgers. Are we allowed to talk about Brendan Rodgers if this result stays as it is? And I know that I'm kind of tempting fate a little bit by talking about it at this point. But we're 68 minutes into the game. Nottingham Forest are 4-1 up against Leicester City. And will this result be met by the, with the same energy from the wider media that our result at Nottingham Forest was met with? Because I felt that we were really vilified that day and it was really, really horrible. And uh, I'm just hoping that the same energy, as I say, is applied to Leicester City because, you know, They've been battered. Arsenal were narrowly beaten. They've been absolutely thumped. And it's a really uh, quite a strong team that Brendan Rodgers has picked already. But that's enough Leicester City talk. I just wanted to get that in there because I take so much flack for my opinion on Brendan Rodgers. And uh, and I think we're seeing here uh, exactly that th there is reason uh, to doubt him. And, and I think that's clear to see. Couldn't get the team up for it today. OK, let's focus back on the Arsenal and let's start off uh, by talking about that centre forward position. So. I guess the first thing is, what is the role of a centre-forward in Mikel Arteta's Arsenal? What is the role of a centre-forward in this team? And I'm going to bring up the tactics board to give you guys a bit of a, an insight into what I think uh, the role of a centre-forward at Arsenal entails nowadays. And I guess it's kind of why, uh, you know, it, it's kind of why Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is, is no longer here and why he isn't part of the plans, because clearly Mikel Arteta has other ideas for that position. And the role is a very specific one, one that I don't think that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is necessarily suited to. So we talk about Alexander Lacazette. He's the number one centre forward at the moment. But what is it that's expected of him? Well, quite often, Alexander Lacazette is asked to drop into a very, very different area. And that area is this area here. It's the area in between the lines. It's the area between the midfield and the attacking trio. And often Lacazette does his best work in this area. It's not in the box. It's in this particular area. And what that does in a lot of ways, and I just want to keep this brief because I do talk about this quite a lot on our tactical review show. So I don't want to kind of overkill it here, but he, he operates in that area in between the midfield and the attack. He drops deep. He gets closer to the midfield, helps out defensively when needed um, and, and manages to kind of win the ball back for us quite a bit in those sorts of areas. He also concedes a lot of fouls. We know that Alexander Lacazette does that a hell of a lot. And it's one of the things that frustrates me uh, about Alexander Lacazette. But it comes from the right place in terms of his effort, in terms of his work rate and in terms of following the manager's instructions. But what that does so often is it allows the likes of Saka and Martinelli, to not only make runs beyond the centre-forward, but to make runs in field. You know, it's very easy uh, for wingers to find space in wide areas. If they pull out to the touchline quite often, they'll get time to receive the ball. And what they do quite often now is, if they do receive the ball wide, they'll then drive diagonally into that space vacated by Alexander Lacazette, who hopefully when making those runs and dropping that little bit deeper, has dragged the defender out there with him. And that allows the likes of Saka to cut in and it allows Martinelli to do the same thing. 
from the far side, when we're playing away from home and perhaps we're playing a little bit more of a counter-attacking game and Arsenal's initial setup is that little bit deeper, again, you'll see Lacazette drop and you'll see those two guys looking to make runs into those spaces vacated by the centre-forward. So Alexander Lacazette's role in this Arsenal team is very, very specific. And that's why I think you can't just stick anybody up front um, and, and expect them to do the business. You can't stick anybody up front and expect them to do what Mikel Arteta asks of them. Now, lots of you will say that you don't like the way the centre-forwards play under Mikel Arteta, that you don't think it's the right way. And I get that. That's a fair opinion to have. But what I want to say is, for me, the only way that Arsenal hit top gear again and, and rediscover that form that we picked up after, of course, that you know disappointing start to the campaign, or, or pick up that form that we took into the end of last year, I think that that role needs to be played properly because for me, it gets the best out of Saka. It gets the best out of Martinelli and it gets the best out of Odegaard. Now, I thought it was really, really important that Arsenal got a centre forward in. I, I really did. I was sitting there scratching my head. On the one hand, I didn't want us, as I kept saying, to go out and blow ridiculous, crazy money on somebody that wasn't the right fit. But I was concerned about the lack of cover that we have in that position. Understandably so. But having thought about this over the last few days, and, and just to make it clear, I'm not making any excuses for the fact we didn't bring in a centre forward. But having thought about this over the last sort of 24, 48 hours in a lot more depth than I have previously, I actually think that what's more important than a centre forward is getting the best out of the players around our centre forward. Getting the best out of Saka, getting the best out of Odegaard, getting the best out of Martinelli and Smith Rowe as well. That is more important than this guy, Alexander Lacazette, or whoever it might be, playing in the centre-forward position, scoring goals. We don't have a world-class centre-forward at Arsenal. We don't have someone who's going to score 15 league goals between now and the end of the season. We, we, we don't have that. And so we need people to contribute. We need the goals to be spread out. We need the goals to be coming from different areas of the pitch. We need players to be sharing that burden. And although Lacazette is not the perfect centre forward, what he gives you is a skill set and a profile that, in my opinion, gets the best out of these guys around him more often than not. And that, as I keep saying, is more important than the one individual man. So that's what I think the role is. I think the role is to create an environment whereby the players around him can flourish. That's the first priority for Mikel Arteta when it comes to his centre-forward. I still think a centre-forward needs to contribute more goals. I still think a centre-forward needs to give you more of a threat going into the box, especially when you're trying to break teams down and you're working the ball into wide areas and you're getting your full-backs forward on the overlap and getting that man over, getting those opportunities to work the ball in the box. You need someone, in my opinion, who can do the drop-off bit, who can give you that support, who can drop into the right areas and create spaces for others, but also can turn around and sprint towards the penalty area himself and look to attack balls that are coming in from wide areas. And I think that's why I kept talking about the profile of the centre forward that we need moving forward being so specific and why it would have been stupid for Arsenal to go out and blow a ton of money on someone who doesn't bring us what we need. But as I keep saying, for me, it's more important that we get the rest of the guys on song, because that is going to be the difference between Arsenal achieving their objectives and not. I think whatever you do with Lacazette, however you choose to deploy him, you're only going to get a certain amount of goals out of him between now and the end of the season. His Arsenal career throughout his time at the club has shown 
that, yes, he's had a couple of good seasons, but he's not as prolific as the very elite strikers. So use him and use him in a way where we get the most out of his skill set. And by the most, I mean, get the most and the maximum out of some of those players around him. So that's what I think Lacazette's role is. That's why I think he's really, really important. But now let's talk about the alternatives. And, and the first option that I gave you with regards to alternatives was Eddie Nketiah. Would you like to see Eddie Nketiah play through the middle in the absence of Alex Lacazette? And for me, the answer is simple. It's no. I don't think that Eddie Nketiah offers you any of the things that I've just explained Lacazette does. I don't think he even offers you half of that. I don't think he drops deep enough. Um, I don't think he's capable of holding up the ball. I don't think he's got the physical strength, the frame. I don't think he's enough of a threat in behind. I think Eddie Nketiah is a, is a six-yard box striker. But that only gives you something. That, that is something you can only benefit from if you manage to get to the byline time and time again and pull balls back and put them on a plate for him. We know in those situations, he can be clinical. He can be lethal. We know what it is that Eddie Nketiah thrives off of. But we don't produce those moments enough. And there will be games where we'll struggle to do that. So for me, the Eddie Nketiah option is a no-go. I, I really don't want to see Eddie Nketiah given the nod because... As I say, I don't think he gives you enough outside of the penalty area. And you'd have probably noticed over the course of the transfer window that I kept talking about what strikers offer outside of the penalty area, perhaps more than I've ever done before. And that is purely because I recognise the significance of that in Mikel Arteta's system. I recognise the significance of that in the way Mikel Arteta wants to play. So I will look at that. I will focus on that. And Eddie, for me, doesn't drop deep enough doesn't get involved in the build-up play, isn't aggressive enough in terms of a presser. Um, and I'm not saying that he doesn't work hard because we've seen him play and we've seen him work very hard on occasions. But pressing is not just about the guy who runs the most. Pressing is about um, timing. It's about, uh, when you say aggression, you're not just talking about how quickly you run or, or how angry you are when you make that run. It's about closing the right areas, understanding, recognising sometimes when you're not going to get to the ball, what the channel is that they're going to try and pick out, you know, how on earth they're going to try and move forward. And, and that's what you've got to understand. And that's what you've got to work out. And I, I just think, um, sorry, I thought Nottingham Forest had scored another, but it was a replay. Um, yeah, you've got to sometimes as a striker, you've got to recognise that you're not going to get to the defender in time. So what's the next best thing? The next best thing is cutting out the passing lane and preventing him moving the ball into the next phase, into the midfield. And I don't think Nketiah is smart enough. I don't think his football intelligence is high enough to be able to uh, do that and do that consistently well. So I'm just, I'm not keen on him. I never have been. I've always said that I think he's going to struggle to make it at Arsenal. And if we are going to have to rely on him, then I think we're going to struggle. I really, really do. Another option that has been discussed and, and I think is, is probably among the more sensible choices is Gabriel Martinelli through the middle. I think that Gabriel Martinelli through the middle can offer you way more than Eddie Nketiah, although I still don't think that that's Gabriel Martinelli's best position. I know we've had a lot of discussions about this and a lot of debates. Could Martinelli be converted into a centre forward? I think he's got a lot of the attributes that you would look for in a striker. But I still think that him having that bit of freedom, being able to receive the ball wide on the touchline with a little bit of room and then having that space in which to drive into, I still think that's where Martinelli thrives, arriving into the box late, 
is something you can't do as a centre forward because you're the focus of the centre half's attention. It's a really difficult uh, position to play and it's a very specific position to play. But with Gabby, I have more confidence that he will understand the tactical instruction, that he will take on board the tactical instruction. And the reason I have that confidence is because he, of course, has come into the side recently, has followed the instructions to a T and, in my opinion, looks a much more complete player as a result of it. So you can see that tactically he's adapted and he's open and he's willing to learn. Eddie and Ketia as well, you know, he's coming to the end of his contract. There's no sign of him signing a new deal. You're just sitting there thinking, why do you want to keep these guys? Why do you want to focus your plans and hopes around someone who isn't committed to the cause? And others would argue the flip side of that is that Eddie and Ketia will be playing for a contract and will be doing his utmost to impress. I get all of that. But I just think for me, Martinelli's a far more sensible option because I think there's less work to be done in order to mould him into what it is that Arteta wants than there is if you were to do it with Eddie Nketiah. The only thing that I would say kind of works against Gabriel Martinelli uh, is something that Adrian Clark brought up on the show the other day. And I think he was absolutely spot on in saying this. And by the way, thank you for your support on that show because that video on YouTube had over 10,000 views, which is incredible. Um, and thank you, of course, to, to Adrian as well. But what Adrian spoke about was, would Martinelli going up front be kind of a sign of us going back to how we were playing when Aubameyang was up top? Because he is a little bit more of a, 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 a the type of player who likes to play off the shoulder, who's a threat in behind. It, it's tough because for me, when I was talking about potential striking options, I said it needed to be someone that can drop deep and create room for others in behind. It needed to be someone who can attack the penalty area, but it also needs to be someone who's a bit of a threat in behind. And I always felt that with Aubameyang, we had that threat in behind, but we never had the ability to impact the game outside of the box and drop deep. And with Lacazette, we've got the complete opposite. So I never felt that we ever had the complete option. And Martinelli is more of a hybrid between those two. And he's closer to what we want, but I still don't think he's the perfect fit necessarily. I wonder if physically he'll struggle against some some of the Premier League's more physical centre-halves. And I don't mean because he's not uh, tough and because he's not buzzing around all the time and through a lack of effort. I just mean that if you're playing the ball up to him, is he always going to be able to make it stick? And that's my worry. Um, you know, I think we need to be able to use our centre forward as a bit of an outlet at times as well. And we don't always do that. So Gabby's a good option, but I think there's a little bit of work that needs to be done tactically in order for that to work. Another option was the false nine option. And the only real time we saw Mikel Arteta try this was in the Europa League semi-final first leg last season against Villarreal, when I think it was Emil Smith-Rowe was stuck up there. And that didn't really work for me. I can understand why he may be tempted to kind of slightly tweak it and add an additional creative player, somebody who is a goal-scoring threat, for example, like Emil Smith-Rowe in that position, a top scorer this season. I understand the temptation to do that. But again, it goes back to what I was saying before. Does having that false nine uh, in the shape of Martin Odegaard or Emil Smith-Rowe, does that give you what you need in order to get the best out of your wide men? Will that give... Bukayo Saka opportunities to drift in field or will they get in each other's way? Will it give Martinelli, if he's playing from the left, the opportunities to get in? You could argue that there'd be some nice interchange in play and you might get a couple of smart little moves in and around those areas, intricate passes. Um, but I just, I, I'm not sure. 
I'm really not sure. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if it works. And then the other option that some of you have been voting for in the poll is Nicolas Pepe. Nicolas Pepe. Oh, I like Nicolas Pepe. I really, really do. Um, and, and I think he's got something that at times we're missing. I think he's got that uh, unpredictability. I think he's got a wonderful left foot. He's a pretty cool uh, finisher. I think he's got a lot going for him. But when I think about Nicolas Pepe and I look at him at his best, I always see a guy who needs freedom. And one of the things that's good about Pepe playing from the the, the right is that he can pick the ball up wide and then he's got that freedom to basically come in field, go on the outside, do whatever it is that he chooses. And I've always said that because we've now got Takahiro Tomiyasu at right back, of course, when fit, that means that Nicolas Pepe can be a little bit more um, free-willed in his positioning. He can be a little bit more relaxed in his positioning. I think that's something that Tommy Asu's really given us, a stability down that right-hand side, which allows others to be uh, a little bit more adventurous and allows us to be a little bit more flexible in our shape and in our positioning. And I think Pepe, not saying that he should come back in the team and Saka should be dropped, but I think Pepe will be better with Tommy Asu behind him. I, lo- I quite liked Pepe last season on a few occasions when he played from the left. I thought he did that role really, really well. Um, and I thought it gave him something different because he wasn't just always cutting inside. There was a bit of unpredictability and he'd pick up these half spaces and then choose to go on the outside, which confused defenders at times. But as a centre forward, again, it's the same thing. Does he give you all of the things outside of the box? Does he bring other people into the game? Does he hold the ball up? Will he press? Because remember, whoever plays this role is literally the spearhead of the press. And okay, as I always say, for a press to be effective, it needs to be applied correctly by everybody. Um, You need someone to press the first man and then you need people to follow it up. I always say that about the press. It's so important that it's done in unison and it's so important that it's done in a smart way. Sometimes you won't win the ball back, but what you want to do is funnel the ball into areas of the pitch in which you feel best equipped to defend effectively. And I don't know that Nicolas Pepe does all of that. If he was put through on goal one-on-one, I'd back him to score pretty much every time. If he got the ball on the edge of the box and had the space and the room to turn, I'd back him to turn and put one in the top corner. But I don't know about all the other bits of the game. So if I'm going to rank the options in the order of which I would turn to them, Gabriel Martinelli will be my number one. Nicola Pepe would be my number two. And the reason I say that is because aside from what I've just said, and obviously there are drawbacks, I do think he's a good finisher, as mentioned. But I also think another positive about Nicolas Pepe is his ability to play wide makes him interchangeable with people. And that front line can become quite fluid and quite difficult to keep tabs on. So my second choice would be Pepe. Third choice is Nketiah just because he's a centre-forward. <laughs> Doesn't really say much about how much I rate him. I don't rate him. I mean, that's no real secret. But fourth choice for me is the false nine because I just think it's too big a gamble to take. It's something that we don't work on, haven't really worked on, and I wouldn't like to see us gamble in the uh, latter stages of the season. So that's my, uh, my view on it. That's how I would deal with it. I think, as I say, If in the event Alexander Lacazette is unavailable, we need to turn to an alternative option. Given our current squad, I think it's got to be Gabriel Martinelli up top. Failing that, Nicola Pepe should probably be given a go um, for the reasons I've explained. Third option would be Eddie Nketiah and fourth option 
would be to revert back to the false nine. Now, let's have a look how you guys have voted in the poll uh, on this. Uh, let's uh, let me just refresh the page because um, it's uh, it's not up to date uh, just yet. The results. Apologies there. Uh, here we go. 153 votes. An overwhelming 41 percent of you would like to see Gabriel Martinelli play through the middle in the event that Lacazette becomes unavailable. 30%, which is also a big percentage, say that they'd like to see Nicolas Pepe move up there. Uh, then, of course, the false nine comes in at third, surprisingly, with 16% of the vote. And Eddie Nketiah is last, according to you guys, with 12% of the vote. So um, interesting, interesting results. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, we're just going to take a short pause for those of you listening on the audio platforms uh, for a quick message with regards to our partners. OK, let's take some of your questions. Let's get some of your thoughts from the live chat while you guys are filling the chat with your thoughts, with your questions. Uh, just want to quickly remind you to hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Uh, we've got 63 likes on the board, over a couple of hundred of you with us live right now. Uh, so please do hit the like button. Let's get it up to 100 likes as soon as possible. That would really, really help me. I'd be delighted. Um, what else did I want to say to you guys? Oh, yeah. Members mailbag episode coming out on Tuesday. So if you are a member of the channel, which you can become by clicking on the link in the description, go into the Discord server. And there is a separate chat called the Members Mailbag. Get in there and drop in any questions you like. And I will be picking up the questions for this week's edition of the Members Mailbag podcast. That's available to YouTube members only. Uh, if you are an audio listener and wish to become a member, you have to do it on YouTube. Uh, but you will, uh, of course, be able to access all the membership content there. Uh, remember, help us get up to 100 likes. OK, let's take some of your questions, some of your thoughts. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, let's take this one from Tom, one of our members. Isn't Lacazette already playing as a false nine? I'd argue that he is. That's a really interesting point. I would say he's not playing a false nine just because he is still the one who's expected to get into the box when we work the ball into wide areas. And I would still say that we're, we're having a little bit of a problem um, with... <laughs> Basically, what I'm trying to say is the fact that he doesn't get into those areas often enough and the fact that he isn't a threat aerially, I don't think is by design. I think that we've we've kind of accepted that he's limited in certain elements of his game. And we're, we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that week in, week out. But I don't think it's a it's by design. I don't think that Mikel Arteta's intention is to play him as a false nine. I, I think it can come across like that at times, though, Tom. So it's a really uh, valuable point that you make. Uh, let's um, keep uh, going through uh, and see uh, what you guys are saying, what you guys are thinking. Get your questions in. Anwesh says, Nico Pepe actually scored a lot of goals playing as a second striker. Interesting. Uh, Noah Daniel says, what about the 4-4-2 system we played earlier this season, but have Martinelli up top and Emil Smith wrote on the wing. It's interesting. I'm just, I'm mindful of what that does to us in midfield. And I think we were able to get away with it a couple of times with Xhaka and Partey in the midfield because, or, or you can get away with it with Xhaka and Partey in the midfield because they give you a bit more stability. 
But I do think it limits us in the midfield. And depending on what your opponent sets, sets up like, you know, if you play against a three-man midfield, a very good three-man midfield, then you can often be overrun. And I think that's a really decisive area of the park. So I'm not a big fan of the 4-4-2 nowadays. I, I don't think it really works anymore. Um, it was clear that we only adopted that for a short period of time because in my view, Mikel, as I mentioned previously, wanted some of Aubameyang and some of Lacazette uh, to be on the pitch at the same time. And that was the only way to accommodate it. Luke Williams says, uh, what do you think about Martinelli having the number 14 shirt when we offer him a new contract? Yeah, I mean, if he wants it, uh, is he number 11? No, he's not. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm always getting mixed up with the numbers. Let me just have a quick look. Hold on. Because 35 years, 35. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I had in my head 11. Did Did someone say he wanted 11? I don't know what it was, but yeah, 14's a cool number. Thierry Henry number, followed on by the mighty Theo Walcott. <laughs> but yeah, if that's part of, of what it takes to keep him here, then he's certainly deserving of that. No doubt about it in my mind. Uh, Harry Fenwick says, uh, hi, Harry. I would love Pepe because there is a player there, Harry. I just don't think he has the intensity uh, to press in an Arteta system. Agreed. Uh, Jonathan David, all day, please, over Dominic Calvert-Lewin and anyone else. You're jumping the gun a bit, Harry. We'd love to to get Jonathan David in, in the summer, but of course, a long way to go till then. We, we kind of have to plug the gaps that we have in the meantime. Uh, Mickey Morris says, Harry, I agree with you about Martinelli, but I'd put the false nine ahead of Pepe with Eddie bringing up the rear. Interesting. Um... Bradley Costello says, uh, do you think the reason why players like Aubameyang behave like this is because we don't buy them competition, like Liverpool buying Jota and Diaz, while they have Firmino, Mane and Salah? Um, possibly. You know, we've talked a lot about it being a comfort zone, haven't we? We've talked a lot about the fact that Arsenal's been a bit of a holiday camp for people over the years. And, and as a result, that's breeded a really, really poor culture. And it's good to see that being changed, you know, in my opinion. I know a lot of people disagree with the handling of the Aubameyang situation and various other decisions that Mikel Arteta has made. But to me, it makes sense. Um, and I think, Bradley, you probably got a point. I think the lack of competition, the complacency that creeps in when you're the one of the first names on the team sheet obviously has an impact. Uh, the game is over, by the way, between Nottingham Forest and Leicester City. Can we talk about Brendan Rodgers now? I think we can. I think we can. OK, let's uh, keep moving uh, through the chat box. Um, Halo Mateo says that uh, we scored just one goal in the whole of January. Was that just an accident or something else? I'm not sure what you mean by was that just an accident? Obviously, it wasn't by design. Obviously, it wasn't uh, Mikel Arteta or Arsenal's intentions not to score a goal, but we had a problem there. Um, I think that we had problems because we weren't able to control games as well as we could have with the right midfield options available. And we all know the reasons for that. I don't think that we had the intensity and the energy to attack as uh, as well as we had done in the months prior to that because of tiredness, because of the squad being so thin, because of us having so many issues. I think everybody was just blowing out of their backsides. And it's honestly why I feel like the break came at a really, really good time for us. Let's see what else we've got. Um, Terence says, uh, will we ever have a complete striker at Arsenal since right? Uh, it's hard to say that Thierry Henry wasn't a complete striker. I get what you mean. He wasn't an out-and-out -out striker in the sense of he'd pull out to the left and he'd do various other bits and pieces. But I'd argue that 
him at his best was was better than Ian Wright. I mean, Thierry Henry at one stage was the best footballer in the world. I don't think Ian Wright was ever at that that level. I'm not saying he was bad. Of course, he was brilliant, natural finisher, natural goal scorer. But sometimes you need more than that uh, to be regarded as the very, very best. Certainly one of the best at Arsenal, but not ahead of Thierry Henry for me personally. Uh, Luke says, uh, could it not give Pepe confidence if we did play him up front and get him scoring uh, with creativity? Yeah, of course. And, and he is a confidence player, I think. We all uh, we all agree on that. Uh, David Marr points out correctly that Martin Keown wore the number 14 before uh, Thierry Henry. That is correct. Um, Ty Gunasaurus says, do you think strikers are not getting joy because we don't have a high back line? Do you mean that we don't squeeze the game up as much as we can? I think we were doing that really well during that period where we were playing well. But I think as the confidence took a bit of a hit and a bit of a beating, we started to sink and, and we do that. And we do that, especially against bigger teams, because we still have this inferiority complex where we look at them and say, well, we've got to be defensive here. We've got to be careful here. Let's drop off. And um, and I think you're right. I think one of the problems we've had uh, when playing some of the big sides of late, uh, particularly Liverpool in the cup, was that there was sometimes too much of a gap between our back line and the forward line, which you know makes it more difficult. So, yeah, valid point. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Matt G, the FA Cup holders are out. They are indeed. And look, I, I know I've been kind of mocking Brendan Rodgers a little bit, but congratulations to Nottingham Forest. I mean, <laughs> they must be on cloud nine. First, the scalp of Arsenal, and then Leicester City, the FA Cup holders. Packed out City ground. Incredible football club. Congratulations to them. Uh, Ekene Ogboro says, uh, Harry, do a poll rating Aubameyang's performance today. I rate him a one. Look, let's, he came on uh, quite late. Uh, didn't have the impact that I've hoped, but I don't think Barcelona were at their best at that particular point in the game. I did watch the game. Uh, I chose to watch that uh, over any of the FA Cup action. I mean, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid is a no-brainer. Um, Adama Traore was brilliant, by the way. Caused Atletico all sorts of problems down the right-hand side. Wonderful cross. Uh, an assist for the second goal, I think it was. Um, Jordi Alba with a stunning goal as well. Barcelona in that first period were as good as I've seen them for maybe two, three years. Um, they were so good. They were moving the ball brilliantly, incisively, quickly. Confidence was flowing through the entire team. The Camp Nou was up on its feet. It was really a joy to watch. But in the second half, particularly when Luis Suarez pulled it back to 4-2, uh, things got a little bit nervy for Barcelona. That's a, some of the inexperience that they got in the team. They got plenty of experience too in the likes of Danny Alves, et cetera, et cetera. And Aubameyang came on actually to replace Adama Traore. He went up top, but was uh, hardly involved. But, you know, you're not going to judge Aubameyang's Barcelona career on a um, on a substitute performance um, in a game where they were, you know, already in control and in a, it, well, the game was in a certain kind of phase, wasn't it? I guess. Anyway, uh, get involved with the likes, guys. We're on 87. We're just uh, 13 or so away from the target. And there's over 260 of you uh, with us now. So come on, let's get that sorted. Uh, Patrick Carlson says, would you have Steve Cooper as manager at Arsenal? I think we probably need to be aiming a bit higher than that. I, not because I don't like him. I actually think he's a decent manager. But I think that... Nobody would ever accept that here. 
You know, it's it's one of those where, you know, we would turn our noses up. I'm doing it now <laughs> at somebody like Steve Cooper. I think he's doing a good job at Nottingham Forest and I think he's a really good championship level manager. I think he's got to do it in the Premier League first before we can even talk about him potentially taking over at Arsenal. Um, that's my view on that. Uh, Billy says, uh, can Mikel do the old Wenger trick and get a triple contract done for Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka and Martinelli at the same time? Maybe he's looking to give the wages he saved this year to them and tie them down. Well, obviously, getting some money off of the wage bill does give you that flexibility and does give you that ability to then go, well, let's reinvest those funds in the players that we believe are here for the long haul and the players that we desperately want to keep for a number of years. So I think it gives him obviously more wiggle room in that sense. But I, yeah, I think the intention is to tie those guys down. And like I was talking about this the other day, I don't think Saka's contract expires for another couple of years, but I want to see Arsenal be proactive and deal with that before the problem arises, if that makes sense. That's something we did so badly in years gone by. And I think the fact that we hear that Arsenal are uh, are trying to tie those guys down to a new contract ahead of time. You know, Smith-Rowe signed a new contract recently. Saka signed one not too long ago as well. Martinelli, the same. The fact that we're trying to be proactive and we're looking to offer them, from what we understand, salaries that better reflect their roles in the squad, I think is is something that we should be positive about and we should be giving the club praise for. Very easy to criticise the club at every turn, but... I think, you know, being proactive in that sense is is a welcome change, isn't it? Um, what else have we got? Uh, let's take this one from Harry. He says, please, Harry, do you agree that Saliba looks a level above Ben White? I reckon we should have bought him back and spent the money wiser. 50 million uh, for a centre-back who will be third choice in the long run if Saliba returns. I've got, a, I'm going to slightly disagree with you because I don't think Ben White's been bad at all. I think Ben White's been good. I think he's had a couple of games where I've looked at him and gone, hmm, not really sure. But I think overall, he's been a really positive signing. He seems a really good character as well. And I like that. I think with William Saliba, okay, he's looked good in the French League. But I'm going to judge him when he comes to the Premier League and he's playing here in, in this league week in, week out, because I think it's a completely different ball game. Um, I'm not saying he doesn't look talented or that he doesn't have promise and potential. I think it's fair to say that he does. But I'm not going to be too quick to go crazy on him because, as I've said to you guys before, I've never really understood the massive hype around him. You know, this was a guy that we signed and we reloaned back to St. Etienne and then we didn't register him when he returned and and then we, uh, or when he arrived, I should say, and then we sent him out on loan for the second half of that season and he wasn't great in the second half of last season at Nice. Um, he had some great performances, but overall there were question marks still around William Saliba. And I've spoken to a number of French football experts who have, have told me that. And then you move into this season where he's been better at a bigger club, more pressured environment, et cetera, et cetera. But there's still question marks over whether he's going to hack it at Arsenal. You know, there's there's a good chance that he does. And I think a lot of people are feeling more confident about that now, having seen him play at Marseille for another season. But there's no guarantee. And I think that I've always personally struggled to get my head around the the Saliba loving when he hasn't played a single competitive game for Arsenal yet. I think it's really difficult to say, to say that he is or isn't the man. Um, Anthony says, that, do you think the fans should accept Saka leaving? No way. I mean, if you want to progress, if you want to develop, 
you've got to keep your best players. And I think it was, uh, I've mentioned this already on a previous show, but I think it was Lee Judges who mentioned uh, just the other day that if the club are going to try and keep us engaged and, and involved and on their side by playing the whole West Project Youth, then to let somebody like Bukayo Saka go would be a complete uh, contradiction of that. Uh, what else have we got in the live chat box? Let's take uh, a couple more of uh, your questions. Uh, Deepak says, uh, why did this lot down the road not have this problem? After all, we have better players all over the park, bar one or two positions. What's What problem is that? Sorry, I, I might have missed something in the chat. Let me know. Uh, Julde uh, Amadou Jallo says, that's fair. I've been watching his games at Marseille and there are times he looks good, but the fan base is overhyping him because they don't like Ben White. Yeah, and, and look, i got to be honest. As I said before, I haven't seen many full games. I've seen highlight reels like everybody else. But, you know, it's um, it's really difficult to judge based on that. And also as well, we're talking as uh, like everybody's saying like, you know, Gabriel is, is a certainty given what you're saying, right? If you're talking about Ben White being the one to drop out of the side for, for William Saliba to come in, you're essentially saying that Gabriel is the mainstay. And what I would say is, Gabriel is, when he's at his best, brilliant. And for me, better than both of them and and should be the mainstay. But Gabriel, as I mentioned on a recent episode, does have dips in form as well. And I feel like he's going through a bit of one of those at the moment where he doesn't look as comfortable. He can be a little bit rash. He can get a little bit clumsy and, and things can become a little bit clunky with him. And I think we've seen that in the last few weeks. Now, granted, you know, he was injured. He come back into the side. Um, and it's not always been kind of plain sailing for him. But I think that at his best, he's certainly up there. But I think having three good centre-backs is is important because if someone does drop out of form, if someone does struggle uh, for a short period of time, as a manager, you you feel comfortable in the fact that you can replace him and replace him with someone of a higher quality. And hopefully that doesn't impact your side. Uh, what else have we got? Lots of your questions, lots of your thoughts coming through. Hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. We've hit 100 likes, so thank you all uh, so, so much. Remember, if you want to become a member uh, and uh, take part in our member streams and, of course, our members' mail or get access to our members' mailbag podcast in which you decide the questions, then you can click on the link in the description and sign up, become part of our Discord server via the community tab. The link is there, and uh, we'd love to have you. Okay, um, let's see what we got. Noah Daniel says, the fact that we're arguing about who to choose to be our two starting centre-backs is good. Bring on the competition. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. It's not a given that Gabriel's always going to be there. And it's not a given that Gabriel's always going to be at the peak of his powers. I think, as I said, I think he's had some really good games. I think he's had some really poor games. I think he was an absolute beast when he first came into the team this season after missing the start of the campaign. But I do think recently it's just tailed off ever so slightly, but he's young too. Um, and, and this is what's so exciting about those three centre-halves that we're talking about. They're all young. They've all got lots of room to grow. Uh, they've all got lots of things that they can and need to improve on. But, you know, it's still, um, it's still, uh, you know, it, it, it's encouraging, but there's, there's still work to be done with all of them. 
Ayoku says, uh, hello, Harry. Greetings from Canada. We need to go and raid Forest for players. They were fantastic against Leicester. I only caught a little bit of the game. because, As I said, I was watching Barca versus Atletico Madrid. But yeah, incredible result again. Uh, really, really was. Uh, Jed Spence got a goal, didn't he? Um, and of course, that will spark the talk about him coming to Arsenal again. It, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this Jed Spence character because he seems to be unreal in the FA Cup. And not that I've watched much in the Championship, but based on what people tell me, he hasn't always been that convincing outside of that. Um, a, uh, a friend of mine who covers Middlesbrough said that he was awful and that's why he was loaned out in the first place. And then you're seeing him uh, in the FA Cup really kind of turning people's heads and you don't know where to kind of position yourself in terms of your stance on him. But yeah, it looks looks an exciting prospect, looks a really powerful player and looks like someone uh, who can have an impact anywhere he goes. OK, um, I think I think we're going to round it off there. We've been going for around about 45 minutes. I'm just conscious of the African Cup of Nations final kicking off in just a little bit. I know lots of you will be wanting to watch that. If you are listening via the audio platforms, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on what time it is you're tuning in. Uh, but I could ask you guys, if possible, to please do leave us a review and bear in mind that the time that this episode was recorded. Lots of great questions in the chat, as always. Lots of great uh, debate, lots of great discussion. Pleasure to have you uh, all here on this uh, early Sunday evening. Enjoy the AFCON final, and we'll bring you another piece of content tomorrow in which we'll be talking about the latest Arsenal news. Until then, take care of yourselves, enjoy your evenings, and all the best. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.